Morning, Jeff. Hey, Rick. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yes, happy Easter. Yeah, thanks. So, so tell me, if someone had told you several months ago that on Easter Sunday morning there would be seven people in the worship space, how would you have responded? I would have thought you were crazy. Um, <laughs> never saw this coming. Um, by the way, you said seven. I introduced our uh, uh, worship team to you. But in addition, just so you know who's here, uh, we have Scott Cruz, who is back running sound for us, and uh, Marilyn Bills, who's kind of producing all of this. And uh, for those of you who don't know, this is Pastor Rick Court, Pastor of our campus in Mount Laurel and now uh, pastoring our online church that we didn't think we were going to have. Yeah, which by the way, I just looked before, we have uh, 380 homes have signed in uh, this morning. Welcome. Good to have yeah. you guys mm -hmm. with us. And uh, so no, I would have... Uh, I would have been surprised and not in a good way yeah. <laughs> uh, that the room was going to be empty on Easter Sunday morning. Yeah, it would have been morning. quite a surprise, right? That was not a good surprise. Yeah. How about you? Have there any surprises uh, as we've gone through this season? Yeah, you know what's been a uh, surprise? Well, first, I'm spending less money on gas. Uh, yeah. That's a that's a great, uh, great thing. And um, uh, I have enjoyed walking the neighborhoods because the, our rhythm, the, your, your work at home rhythm is different. And, and, yeah. and in our house, we've been adjusting to Kelly's a school teacher. Uh, uh, my, my two daughters are both in, or one's in high school and one's in college. So, so our home was kind of like more like a hub of activity <laughs> where people came in and then we went off to different workplaces or whatever. And now it's become a home base again, kind of like when they were younger. So more, uh, certainly more family dinners together, nice. uh, games. Uh, I'm, I learned a new game this week. Uh, really? My daughters taught me a Rummy Cube. I never played it before, but oh, well. they're really into it. So that's that's become a Rummy Cube marathon uh, <laughs> uh, we've had. Uh, watching movies uh, as a family. So so Lots we went movies. from being multi-directional to Do being... you binge watch? Yes, we're been we're binge watching the Marvel movies in chronological order. Wow, that's that's a, that's a big deal for us right now. Wow. So, yeah, we're uh, Black Panthers tonight. So, it's <laughs> my favorite one. So. <laughs> Pretty cool. Well, so you know there are good surprises and there are not so good surprises. Sure. And uh, what we recognized as uh, we've been working through. Um, uh, the Gospels, particularly around the Easter story, is it is a story full of surprises. And so this morning, in the few moments that we have together, we want to share three uh, life-changing, world-altering, uh, history-changing um, surprises that took place in that first Easter that in many ways continue to surprise us today. Yeah, and the first surprise that, uh, for that Easter experience, that first Easter experience, was that Jesus died. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the followers of Jesus did not expect Jesus to die. Uh, you know, we talked about this at Palm Sunday, that they, they assumed a, a kingdom on earth was going to take place and that they would be, that Rome, their oppressor, would no longer be oppressing them. Uh, they didn't certainly expect torture, and they certainly didn't expect a crucifixion on Friday, that, that what we celebrate is Good Friday, the, that was the worst possible surprise that they could have imagined. And then for Friday and all day into Saturday and even moving on into early Sunday morning, it was filled with doubt and confusion and fear and, and, and this emptiness that was inside of them. And so John, who was one of the disciples who was there, who was there at the crucifixion as well, uh, he shares part of the story and it's going to be up on the screen. It's John chapter 20. I want to read these verses to you. 
And uh, it says, and we're going to stay on that uh, uh, slide for just a moment. It says, that Sunday evening. Now notice it says Sunday evening. That even though John and Peter and Mary uh, have seen the empty tomb, and they, it says that in Luke that they went back and reported to the disciples, uh, these guys are still in the upper room and they're in hiding. It says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid of what might happen next. They were afraid that the, the Jewish leaders might have thought that they've stolen the body. And if they've stolen the body, that's certainly more believable than a resurrection and so more plausible. Uh, they, were, they were fearful that they were coming after them next. And even wondering if Peter and John's story, at the, that the women's story could even be true. And so then it goes on and says, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. That's the surprise. Jesus had died. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again he said, peace be with you. They were surprised. They were surprised that this idea of resurrection is too good to be true. Absolutely. And that's the second surprise. And this is the surprise of Easter. Mm. That um, their teacher and Lord had, who had died had risen from the dead. So the resurrection, of course, is the mind-blowing surprise. They didn't see this coming. So in the story that we just heard at the, uh, the, out, the beginning of that new week, as the women went down to the tomb to address the body for final burial, they found that the tomb was empty and they were stunned. And Jesus appears to Mary and tells her this great good news that was the first declaration that he had risen from the dead. They ran back and told uh, the disciples and Peter and John ran to the tomb and they experienced the empty tomb. And then as we just heard, Jesus appears to them and they hear and experience for themselves the resurrected Jesus. And they are filled with a overwhelming sense of joy and a deep deep peace they never saw it coming they probably should have in you know in a way because the um the prophets over hundreds of years had foretold of this coming messiah and this resurrection jesus himself told his disciples that he was going to die and after three days be raised from the dead but it was just too good to be true. True, good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Too good to be true. And and so now, the, so then the third surprise we see, and this is a surprise that the reason we celebrate Easter, the the most as unexpected and as profound as those surprises were, there was a too good to be true surprise, and that was that that this. Uh, this idea that resurrection brings this new beginning. And this was the surprise that launched the disciples to the edges of, of the known world at the time. It's, it's what led them to uh, begin gathering in church uh, to create the church. It was what it was what led them to, uh, to write letters that talk about this idea of resurrection. It, it brought this new beginning. It was a, a restored relationship in which sin no longer controls us and no longer keeps us from God. It was that we no longer have to work to win God's favor or God's approval. That the sacrificial system in place was no longer necessary because Jesus's death did the work for us 
and our salvation is given to us freely. There's no strings attached. There you go. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things, the uh, joys of our job, I guess, as pastors is we get to have lots of conversations uh, with folks um, about their relationship to God. And uh, what I've noticed, Rick, over, gosh, 30 years of, 30 plus years of... Uh, yeah, it's a, few, it's a few less for me. <laughs> it's coming quick, let me tell you. Uh, but in those years of these conversations, they fall into three broad categories, I would say. For some folks, their relationship with God is based on the idea of God's justice, and so they live with this sense of kind of fear that they have to do everything right. They have to live a life as close to perfect as possible because God is going to judge them at the end. And so they have this sense of God's judgment, which is the idea judgment means that you get what you deserve. So if I live a good enough life, I'll get God's uh, acceptance. The problem with that mm. is that the Bible tells us that nobody lives up to that standard. Nobody is good enough to fulfill uh, the law of God, so to speak. And uh, so that's a tough place to be. The second group that I hear from and talk to is folks who are just hoping that God is merciful, mm -hmm. right? So they've got this idea that they know they're screwing up. They know that they're falling short. They know that they don't uh, meet God's highest standards. And so they're just hoping and praying that when they one day stand before God, that he's going to be merciful, meaning that they're not going to get what they deserve, mm -hmm. Here's the story of Christmas. Here's the best surprise of all. It's this idea of grace. That we get what we don't deserve. That we get God's full love, full acceptance. That we receive eternal life. Not because we lived at the standard. Not because God had mercy on us, uh, you know, sinners. And uh, so he's giving us something we don't deserve. But because of Jesus, because of the resurrection of Jesus... We have this grace, getting what we don't deserve. And you know, there's a story uh, that Jesus told to describe this to us. It's a, it's a pretty well-known story. It's a story about a dad and his two sons. The dad is the, um, the archetype, if you will, the, the description of who God is. And the two sons are a description of who we are. And it's the relationship between God and humanity yes. described here. Yep. And so, so the beginning of the story, Jeff? So the beginning of the story, thanks. That was a nice prompt. That was, yeah. uh, so the beginning of the story is that there are uh, these two sons. One, the youngest one, goes to his dad and says, Dad, I don't want to wait till you die for my inheritance. I'm just picturing my son coming to me and saying this um, and my reaction. But anyway, that's what he did. He asked for his inheritance now, and the father gave it to him. He gave him all that he would have gotten uh, when the father died. And the son took all of that and went to a far off land. And while he was there, he lived his life by his own standards, by his own rules, totally rejecting all of the things that he had learned from the father. Mm -hmm. And then in the midst of that, a pandemic hit. 
yeah. of sorts, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And they lost, he lost everything. Mm -hmm. And then he found himself destitute mm -hmm. with no options and barely able to survive. He, yes, he's at his lowest place that he could possibly be. And the, the story says that he came to his senses. Jesus tells the story and says the, the boy, the, the son came to his senses and then goes on and says this, it's up on the screen again. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Oof. You know, as many times I've heard that story, it gave me chills just then. Mm -hmm. So here's the youngest son. What's the youngest son looking for? He's looking for mercy. He recognized that he screwed up. He recognized that he blew it. He comes home. He has no illusions that he is worthy anymore to be called the son. And so he has this idea of just allow me to be a slave, a servant in your household because it would be better to be a servant in the father's household than to be living out in the world by himself. And so he is looking for mercy. He's looking for that which he didn't deserve. Yeah, and then Jeff mentioned this is a story of two sons. So later in the story, we find out that the, the older son finds out that his that his uh, brother has come home, mm -hmm. and he wants justice. I mean, he, he understands the kind of life that his younger brother has been living, and so he expects his brother to get what he deserves. He, he wants his brother to, to, to get the punishment that he believes he deserves. He expects justice. Yeah. And what does the uh, father do? Hmm. The father offers grace. He says to this son who was lost, who had left and abandoned the, uh, the father, he welcomes him back, not as a servant, but as a fully redeemed son. He puts the ring on his finger. He throws a party for him. He welcomes him back as his son into his household. That is grace. And that's the biggest surprise about Easter. Yeah, and he surprises both sons, right? He's the one who expected justice. He surprises him. Yeah, and he disappointed him. Yeah, yeah, disappoints him. Yeah. And, and they're, but they're both surprised by this idea. And I think that's, that's, that's the story of Easter. God's greatest Easter surprise is that uh, he arrives in life's darkest moments, whatever those dark moments may be. Uh, so I noticed on Twitter a, a few weeks ago when this pandemic was first beginning, uh, there, were, there was talk about would this last through Easter? Would churches have to cancel Easter services? And uh, 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 one, Twitter, uh, per, or one person I follow on Twitter said this, Easter will be when the church is back together again. And I, I understand the, the meaning behind that and where, where this person was going, but 
for me, I was really bothered by that because I was like, that's not the story of Easter. It's not about packed buildings and it's not about loud music and it's not even about family and friends getting together. It's about celebrating hope and grace in the darkness. It's about, it's about God wins no matter what the score, that, that love wins, that, 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 that we're surprised by God's presence in our darkened lives, you know? Absolutely. So, you know, as I've been reflecting on grace over uh, this week, um, I keep going back to this most beloved hymn. Mm. Uh, This hymn that is over 200 years old, and um, yet it is sung even today um, at most um, tender moments in our society. Even people who don't claim a faith, even people who might reject the faith, there's something about this hymn that keeps it current and people sing it over and over and over. Amazing grace, amazing grace. And listen to the first uh, stanza of that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's God's amazing grace. That is the surprise of Easter. So as we continue, uh, Rick, we're going to uh, invite the band to lead us in a, uh, in a closing song.